Welcome to Preaching into the Mirror. I'm Sharmini Kumar. Each week I'm spending time with some of the stories of Jesus, according to the Gospel readings of the Revised Common Lectionary, if that means anything to you. And I'm preaching the sermon that I think I most need to hear. This week I was preaching for my home church congregation as well, but you are welcome to eavesdrop. The passage was Mark 10, verses 2 to 16. So I would like to say up front that uh, Simon asked me to preach and I said yes and then I went and looked at the passage for today and I went to Simon and I said look are you sure that you want a single woman talking about divorce and children while you're away from church and he said yes so whatever happens in the next 20 minutes is all his fault (laughs) yeah because Simon says no, but, but really, like seriously, I don't know how you feel about this passage, but, but it makes me nervous. It makes me a little bit uneasy. It makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I know people whose marriages have not succeeded. And this passage can sound a little bit judgy. That's the technical term. It's not the technical term. It can sound a bit judgy. And I, maybe you, like me, know some people who's re- who have been coerced or pressured to stay in abusive or unhealthy relationships or to stay with failing marriages on the basis of this passage or other ones similar. So I want to say right up front that I don't want to be judgy about it and I actually don't think Jesus was intending to be judgy either. And let me, let me tell you why. So you might actually want to have your Bible in front of you. One of the traps of having the words on the screen is that you don't open the Bible. But I will ask you some questions. I'm giving you notice up front. I might ask you some questions and I will expect a response. All right. Just so you know. Mark chapter 10. It's all there. Okay. Because I, I want to explain why I don't think Jesus was intending to be judgy. And we hear right from the start what the Pharisees' motivation was for asking the question in the first place. All right? So somebody have a look and tell me, what what was the Pharisees' motivation for asking the question? To trap Jesus. To trap Jesus. It wasn't a genuine question, was it? They weren't having a pastoral concern. They weren't really interested in caring for people who were struggling with relationships. They They didn't care about supporting people who were going through difficult times in their lives All they wanted was a hypothetical question to get into a theological argument with. And they wanted to argue, they wanted to argue, they wanted to get into a fight, and they wanted to prove that the other person was wrong. And they made a bit of a mistake because the other person in this case happened to be Jesus. So good luck with that. But but I think that's an important point. Because they're not asking a genuine question about caring for people. And we know, don't we, that people's lives and people's hearts and people's vulnerabilities, they're not actually things that we should just be arguing about. They're not topics for fights. Discussions about issues, and and there are important issues to discuss, but discussions about issues, no matter how important, should never be sort of shouted over the top of people who are suffering from their lived experience. People are not issues. People should be treated carefully and lovingly and respectfully. And when we treat people's pain as like an abstract thing to argue about, we're actually moving far away from the heart of Jesus. 
And yes, covenants and promises that we make are important and they should be kept, but not just because that's the way it's supposed to be or because someone said so, but because we've all, we've all, we all know what it's like, don't we, when people don't keep their promises, when relationships are broken, when trust is broken, people are hurt. And, for, and when for whatever reason those relationships break down, it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing. It's a tragic thing. Not a thing to fight about or argue about. But there's another issue that Jesus kind of touches on, a little bit sideways. So the religious leaders come to Jesus and they ask this question, they're trying to test him. But who are they thinking about are the ones that that are doing the the decision-making about divorcing or not divorcing. Who is it? It's there in verse 2. Men. Yeah. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So they're not even thinking about the women. (laughs) They're not even thinking that it's an option for the women to divorce their husbands. But Jesus puts the responsibility back onto both men and women. If you have a look at verses 11 and 12, he talks, about both, he talks about both, doesn't he? He talks about men divorcing their wives and women divorcing their husbands. So I think this, even that much would have been a little bit shocking. A little bit shocking to the disciples, thinking, what? I'm allowed to leave her. She's not allowed to leave me. Jesus is reminding them that there's more than just one person involved with this. The the religious leaders are worried about what their rights are and Jesus is reminding them of their responsibilities as well. Because when you think about it, in this society that Jesus is talking to, women and children, they're very vulnerable, aren't they? What are the women and children supposed to do if the husband husband of the family decides he's, he's going to divorce them? Who's going to look after them? Where's their income going to come from? Where's their food going to come from? They're very vulnerable in that situation. And Jesus is reminding them of their responsibilities. And their responsibilities that don't, even, that don't end even when the relationships become uh, uncomfortable or difficult or even impossible. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to come across like a man-hater. Anything like that, that's not me. But it is true that Jesus stood with people who were most marginalised at the time. Yeah? Jesus stood against all forms of oppression. And at that time, particularly in marriages, men definitely had more power. And men definitely had the capacity to abuse it. So part of what Jesus is saying here, when he says, don't abandon your family, he says, you have power. Rightly or wrongly, you have taken on responsibility to care for for these people and your responsibility doesn't just end, even if the relationship ends. Part of what Jesus is saying is, if you're thinking about leaving your wife, have you ever thought about the fact she might want to leave you too? Have you thought about what will happen to the people involved? Jesus isn't issuing a blanket statement about right or wrong. He's reminding them that these situations are about more than just what it is you want to do. And it's about more than just what are you allowed to do. 
because there's humans involved, there's humanity involved, there's people involved, there's complexities involved, there's relationships involved. And I think the same applies to us, not just in our families, but in all our relationships. Because we're all connected, we're all part of society, yes, we're all part of different communities, we're all part of different families, and we've all been given certain amounts of authority and certain amounts of responsibility. We don't always feel like it, but we live in Australia. We have a certain amount of freedom. We have a certain amount of power relative to other people in the world. And I think part of what Jesus is saying is that even when those relationships break down for whatever reason, we still have responsibilities to care for people. Relationships break down sometimes, and that is sad and that's tragic. But our responsibilities to care for our neighbours to care for our brothers and sisters, that doesn't change. We still have a responsibility to, to care for the image of God as we see it reflected in other people. See, I think one of the things that's going on with the religious leaders is that they want to feel right. Or perhaps what I mean is they want to feel righteous, don't they? They want to feel righteous. They want to feel that they're good. They want to feel that they're moral people, proper people. They want to feel that they're better than other people. It's perhaps not so much that they don't believe in forgiveness, but they don't want to believe that they need forgiveness for anything. And Jesus is saying, look, wait a minute. When promises are broken, when people get hurt, when relationships don't go as people expect, then that is a difficult, difficult time. There is forgiveness and grace and healing that God offers, but you don't get to think of yourself as a better person. You don't get to exploit the power that you have over less powerful people to try and make yourself feel like a righteous person. That's not how it works, Jesus says. And when we think about the people who are vulnerable in this situation, the situation Jesus is addressing, particularly women and children, I actually think that's part of what's important when we look at the rest of the passage. Now, who here went to Sunday school? Who here learned Bible verses in Sunday school? Who here learned the Bible verse about let the little children come to me in Sunday school? (laughs) Yes, nearly all of us. Well done. Well done. Sunday school teachers. Woo! Thanks, Agatha. (laughs) Sorry, we don't call them... It's not Sunday school anymore. It's... Facts. What's... Bible adventure kids. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Okay. Um, So, Jesus is talking about accepting the kingdom like a child. And when we think about this society... Children are not valued in the same way that they are for us now, are they? They were basically seen as these annoying little creatures that you had to feed and clothe until they got to be adults and could do something useful. I mean, sometimes that's how I think of children. No, I'm joking. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. We have a youth-focused service today, and that's a great thing, isn't it? That's a great thing. But what I've always heard this passage to mean is that we need to become more like children. That I need to become more like a child. And some people already think I'm pretty childish, so maybe I'm doing okay. 
But no, it, I've always thought that it means that I need to, to have trust like a child or to have innocence like a child. And maybe there's parts of that that's true, right? Because children are very trusting and very dependent on their parents the way we are with God. But I will say, I don't know about you, how you were as a child. I don't know what your children are or were, are or were like. But when I was a child, I was probably trusting, but I was also very moody, very demanding and very self-centred. So I'm not sure those are the qualities of children that Jesus wants me to be like. Just say. But I want to think about another possibility. Maybe when Jesus says that we should receive the kingdom of God like a little child, he doesn't, he doesn't just mean that we should become like little children, but that we should receive the kingdom of God as we would receive a child. In other words, that how we receive children, or the unimportant ones, or the annoying ones, is a sign of how we receive the kingdom. Let me, let me just explain a little bit more. Now, I don't know how many of you know this, and if you don't know this, then perhaps we haven't been friends for very long, but I have a nephew. <laughs> Denise is smiling because she knows this. <laughs> His name is Andrew. He is two and a half years old. He has never had a haircut, so he has very curly ringlets all over. Now, this is completely unbiased truth, but he is the cutest and most remarkable child that has ever lived. That is true. I'm, I'm terribly sorry. But it is, yeah, yeah. And ask me afterwards, I'll show you a picture. In fact, even if you don't ask me, I'll probably show you a picture. I'm that sort of auntie. But if you say to me, how I receive my nephew is a sign of how I receive the kingdom of God, well, that's probably good, right? You might be able to tell, I really like my nephew. I really love my nephew. I really like spending time with him. I don't think he's unimportant or a nuisance or anything like that. Even when he wakes up five times in the night, which he does. Because today... We view children as precious gifts from God, don't we? Yeah? And my nephew definitely is. We view, and that's right. We should view children, not just my nephew, but all children, as precious gifts from God. So who are the people that Jesus says, I need to welcome like I welcome the kingdom of God? It's a, it's, it is everybody, but it's specifically people who are weaker, people who are more vulnerable, I walked in and saw on the front of the Melbourne Anglican today, call for kids off Nauru by November. People who are weaker, people who are vulnerable. It's also people I might not enjoy spending time with or people that I think are not worth my time. And when I think that about people, I'm wrong about them, of course, and God knows I'm wrong. But what Jesus is saying to me here is that the way that I accept people that are more vulnerable, the way that I accept people who I am tempted to think are beneath me, the way I accept those people is a sign of how I have accepted the kingdom of God. And I think it means something very important that Jesus says this in a crowd. All right, let's, let's think about who's there. You've got religious leaders, yeah? You've got disciples, 
I will point out again, religious leaders and disciples, all men. But people were bringing little children to Jesus. Now, who were the people that were bringing the little children to Jesus? Parents. Which parents? Almost certainly mothers, right? Because the men weren't going to bother with their children until they could start apprenticing them. And so the care and feeding of infants was women's work, right? So in front of the, the religious leaders, in front of the disciples, in front of the women and the children, Jesus makes this comment. Let the little children come and you must receive the kingdom of God like a child. Because, here you've got to go back to your Bibles again, I'm giving you a bit of a heads up. What have the disciples, what have the disciples been thinking about? What have they, what's been on their mind the last couple of chapters? Somebody said it. I, was it you, Denise? No, somebody said it. Who is the greatest? Chapter 9, verse 34, they had argued about who was the greatest. So the, you've, got the, you've got the disciples fighting amongst themselves about who is the greatest. You've got the religious leaders coming up with questions to trap Jesus so they can feel right or great or smarter or better or superior or whatever it is. And then the women. You've got the women. They're just there. They're just following Jesus. They're just looking after the children and following Jesus. That's all they're doing in this passage. They're welcoming the children. And they're welcoming the kingdom of God, aren't they? They're not arguing about who's better or greater or who's right. They're just getting on with the job of caring for the people that need caring for and following Jesus. And I think at least part of what, of what is going on is that Jesus is saying, look, look here. Look to these people over here that you might not think are very worthwhile, but can you, can you welcome the kingdom like that? Can you welcome the kingdom, not with arguments about being greater, but with humble service for the people that you consider the least? Can you welcome the kingdom in a way that's not about trying to use relationships or use your power to prove a point, but can you welcome the kingdom by just loving people, caring for people, and following Jesus? And that's the question that Jesus is putting to these disciples, to this whole crowd. It's almost like he's pointing to these women, these women who don't say anything, barely mentioned, but they're the ones welcoming the children. They're the ones caring for the children. And without making a fuss about it, they're just following Jesus. And so I wonder, can I do that? I mean, I can. Do I? Sometimes. Can we do that? Because that's our calling, isn't it? That's what Jesus calls us to do. To welcome the kingdom like a child. Sometimes that means we trust like a child, but also it means we welcome in the vulnerable. We welcome in those who need caring for, without fuss, without trying to prove we're better. That's what we're being called to. So may God give us grace to welcome the child, 
May God give us grace to welcome the stranger and the vulnerable and the hurting and the lost. May God give us grace to welcome them as we welcome Jesus' kingdom, as God has welcomed us. Amen.